This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by Hamilton, a value-add investment and development firm in Nashville, Tennessee, focused on bringing passive real estate investment opportunities directly to your inbox. Visit www.investwithhamilton.com invest to sign up for upcoming investment opportunities. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with my man, Chad Newton, founder alongside his wife of You Are Here Hospitality, which is one of the, I mean, if I do say so myself, one of the biggest up and coming restaurant hospitality groups in Nashville and probably the Southeast. Uh, you Are Here Hospitality is the parent company of Eastside Bon Me, which is one of the best sandwich shops in the world. Uh, And I'm not exaggerating at all. (laughs) Um, uh, Seriously, uh, one of the best Bon Mies you'll ever have. Um, And we can dive into that as well and why. Uh, They're starting a new concept called Eastside Pho, which is coming soon to the wash, which is our micro unit concept, which we'll be talking about quite a bit today. And they're doing pop-ups for their next concept already called SS Guy, uh, which is a Thai chicken and beer concept. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, which I went to the pop up not too long ago and was floored by that fried chicken. It's, yeah. I mean, that might be southern fried chicken, which is a sin to say in the south. Or you could just put it next to it and love them both. You there, know? there you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll take one of each, please. There you go. Yeah, Chad, that was a very brief introduction. But, yeah. You know, tell us a little bit about your background and, and sure. how you got into restaurants. Yeah. Uh, first, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Um, you know, always a pleasure to hang out with you and talk a little bit especially talk shop about business yeah, and man. things we love to do. So, yeah, so we've been in Nashville for almost two full years uh, in March. It'll be two full years. So. God, I can't believe it's been that long. I like, know. Can you believe that? It's it's COVID time, yeah. right? It's like it's like 2020 is just the lost year that never happened, right. but it did happen. So every time I look back on something, I'm like, it was last year. No, that was, that was two years ago. Yeah, it was like the fastest, slowest year is the way I like to put it. But um, – yeah, basically, we moved out here from California. Um, my wife and business partner, Gracie Nguyen, shout out to her, Chef. What's up? Um, <laughs> What's up, Chef? <laughs> she's amazing. Uh, we moved out here um, to start hospitality businesses and start restaurants and be in a new area and be in the South, and we just loved it here. So we kept traveling here, and just every other trip we took here, we just started to love it more, and we really loved the food scene and everything about it, and eating and drinking in Nashville is fantastic. It's a lot of fun, but also it's such a great community, and people really support restaurants really well. So, yeah, so with You Are Here Hospitality, we're basically starting a restaurant group um, that may encompass different areas of the hospitality world as well, but right now we're kind of focused on fine casual restaurants, what we like to call it, which is basically a fast casual setup where you, you know, order at a register, get your food a little bit after that. But it does have some touch points that like a neighborhood or a fine dining restaurant would have as well. And that's our background is fine dining. And we have a very, very varied background. Um, But fine dining is just one of it. But we've also done a ton of consulting. And then also in California, our latest projects before we moved here was we way back in 2011, we um, created and scaled a 10 unit um, fine casual chain if you will in california called asian box which was very successful and it's still going strong today um so a lot of our experience is just completely varied between fine dining consulting and in the consulting area we you know we consulted with hilton hotels kimpton group numerous um, people wanting to start fast casual um and, and find casual concepts and yeah it's been really helpful to kind of put us where we're at today where we can start 
building our own restaurant group out here, which we're focused on doing. So, yeah. yeah. I, I love that fine casual concept. That's right. almost exactly what the guy from Chipotle accidentally did right. with that concept. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he started Chipotle to fund his fine dining restaurant that he right. never ended up opening because yep. Chipotle was so successful. So why 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 fine casual? What was so attractive to you about that? Well, again, so like it's just our background of we wanted to do food at a very affordable and approachable level to make it accessible to more people. And we wanted to do that food from a, a fine dining lens, which was very high standards and techniques and using everything we learned in the, the fine dining game, using the best ingredients. You know, I hate the, the term chef driven, but everything yeah. is you know, completely chef-driven of things we've done in fine dining in the past. But you can take that and apply it to a fast, casual setup. So you're talking about 1,200 to 1,500 square feet, you know, making it really easy to do online ordering, delivery, all that. Um, and making the price point around 10 to $15 makes it approachable for everybody. Yeah. No, that's so true. When when, uh, when you guys first opened Eastside Bon Me, yeah. everybody at the table's comment, because we went to the soft opening, right? we were all like, uh, Chad, you're charging $10 for this sandwich. This is too cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, in part of our business, it, it is a, a value proposition. Absolutely. You know? But it works. Yeah. 100%. Right? Yep. I mean, so, you know, you guys opened up, what was, was it? August of 2020? Yeah, uh, exactly. August of 2020. Yep. Yeah. So for a restaurant to be opening up in the, what I would consider the absolute height of the pandemic. It was, yeah. Because everybody had kind of settled into what they thought was this new life. Didn't you guys end up beating your first year expectations in sales? Yeah. I mean, we're, yes. First first year, yes. Um, first full year, we're tracking pretty much what we thought we were going to do, but you know, that we're was still like, in a pandemic, but th- those are pre COVID yeah. projections. So I mean, we signed that lease in February of January, January of, yeah. uh, of 20. 20 yeah. Yeah. 2020. Gosh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's wild though. I mean, most, you know, if you, if you read the newspaper and you listen to what the media says, it's like, everybody's dying, but right. You know, I mean, obviously COVID wasn't easy, but you guys opened up in the middle of the pandemic and did amazing yeah and i think it's because of the style of restaurant that we just specialize in casual yeah exactly because you know we make it really easy to be able to do online ordering that's something we've always done we didn't pivot to that because of the pandemic this is something we believe in and we've always done yeah we've always worked with delivery services we worked with doordash back in the beginning when they were just stanford students coming across the street to our office in palo alto that's awesome trying to get our business you know it's like we we've been really specializing in this kind of food and this kind of accessibility to, to easy food, if you will, but still having those really high standards and still making it memorable when someone eats it and goes like, wow, that's the best sandwich I've ever had. Yeah. You know, cause we're doing everything in house. We're taking that chef lens and that, the, those standards that we would have in a fine din- dining kitchen and just bringing it down to this, you know? And so it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, opening during the pandemic was a little scary, of course. Um, and then, you know, I always talk to my other restaurant friends and buddies who, who like to play in the big boxes, right? It's, there's yeah. all these different kinds of games. And, yeah, the big boxes hit amazing when, when they hit hard and they're full and they're doing really well. Yeah, they crush it. But in times of, you know, things like uh, the, the pandemic or the economy hurting, um, you know, that's, why, that's where Fast Casual kind of got started was, you know, back in 2009, 2010, little breakdown there and people pivoted to that because right. people just didn't want to spend that much money going out. 
And so it's a really interesting world. So we like to specialize in these smaller restaurants, right? That can kind of churn and burn, but you're still doing super high quality. So there's no one's right by which one they want to be in. You know, it's all kind of a different approach to the business. Um, But yeah, those big boxes, when they, when they hit, I'm talking about like those 140 seat restaurants, you know, those big Broadway bars. Yeah. When they hit, they're amazing. But you know, uh, also when you have something like the pandemic or the economy crashes, it's really, really tough times. Yeah. So I think it's um, the fine casual is definitely, um, you know, a little more stirred year to overall kind of world situations and, and things that are happening. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you bring up an interesting point with, you know, the, the recession and how it essentially forced innovation and for people to rethink right. the way that they were looking at restaurants. And that's pretty much what this last recession did. And yeah. that's kind of how we came up with the wash. Right. Right. I mean, it, right. It, we, we started getting these calls left and right from restaurant groups that uh, wanted to continue opening, yep. but wanted almost no seating. Right. They wanted less than a right. thousand square feet. Yep. And every time somebody called me, I was just like, that doesn't exist in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like, if you find 1,500 square feet, count your lucky stars. Yeah. Uh, because Nashville traditionally just has been, you know, that 2,000 and 2,500 square foot restaurant. Exactly. Like everywhere. I mean, yep. it's like rinse, wash, and repeat on on these yeah. these sizes. Um, and so when when I was driving by that car wash that one day, you were actually one of the first people that I called. Yep. So I called Jamie, yep. and I said, hey, I think that this might be crazy. Uh, and if so, hang up on me, and I'll for, you know, let's forget that I ever called you about this. But what if we converted those car wash bays into restaurants? And so we started talking through it, trying to figure out how it would work. And since you know we had helped, we obviously both had a relationship with you. We helped you find uh, the the location for Eastside yep. Me, and Jamie designed it exactly. And yep. so you know we both were like, okay, well let's call Chad and see what he thinks. Yeah. So kind of ran the initial idea past you. I mean, what was your what were your thoughts when I first said, hey, what if we did these micro restaurants? Yeah, you know, I was into it. Because I think it is really smart, especially right now. I mean, you see what everyone's doing with ghost kitchens, right? That's the new kind of hot thing. This is better than that. You think? Yeah, it is. Because um, anytime you, you choose a, a, a concept, a size, a space for what you're going to do, you're going for different things, right? Just depending on performance and different things. This, I think, is great because it's not all delivery-based. Yeah, it's a lot delivery-based. But going into a ghost kitchen is completely delivery-based. So that means all of right. your sales are discounted essentially right yeah you, you, i mean all your revenue is discounted yeah because you're paying you're paying someone off the service. top so what this does is and i think you guys are super smart about this about developing them so that folks can just come and eat you know it has it has the the, the mix of like the food hall but also the ghost kitchen and i think it's really smart because of that no. yeah well th- thank you yeah uh, that's very kind of you we we looked at at several food halls as comps when we were trying to throw it together right and the cost of maintaining those common areas inside where people are sitting yeah. was astronomical. Yeah. Because, you know, maybe you have zero restaurants open for breakfast, which means you have zero people filling, filling seats and spending money, but you're spending money on electricity, on HVAC, yeah. on real estate that you're paying for. I mean, it's amazing how much that costs. And that was kind of the beauty of this concept was, no, we'll just make all the seating outside. It's right. kind of, you know, it's it's kind of COVID-proof. If COVID comes back, you can focus on to-go and delivery. Absolutely. Or people are comfortable sitting outside. So, uh, you know, that it was just a – I mean, to us, it, like, looking back, it was like, yeah, well, yeah, it was a no-brainer to do that. Yeah. But had the pandemic never hit, we probably never would have done that. 
Yeah, and, and the other thing is, you know, people are looking to expand at this point still and grow and open new businesses, but they do want to do it at more of a discount. Yeah. You know, it's you know, investors are maybe a little bit more reticent to lend money to restaurants these days, you right. know, because of COVID. There's a lot of little factors in there, and I think, you know, we'll probably dive into this more, but, like, the capital needed to get into this is so Crazy. doable. Yeah, it's so doable. I mean, it's 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 pretty insane. Yeah. If you're if you're joining us live and you have any questions about hospitality groups, micro units, the wash, whatever, uh, jump in live. Uh, Chad and I are happy to to kind of open up the conversation with you all. That's that's why we go live, right? We're we're here to 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 open this up to everybody. So let's talk about food trucks. Yeah, you came from California. Yeah. So you guys had your food truck craze like twenty right. years before we did. Yep. Right. I mean, it, For hit, sure. it hit Nashville like right during, right after the the recession. Right. Yep. So what 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 kind of impact did you see on the restaurant industry from food trucks? Well, just a lot of people wanted to get into them because it was an easier way and a less expensive way to get a restaurant. Like how so? How how? I mean, what you know, I think you know, I haven't looked at any food uh, truck numbers for maybe the last five ten years because right. they kind of. Uh, a little bit irrelevant now. Not or not all the way. Hey, if it works for people, that's great. There's some really great experiences yeah. out there and examples out there um, of people like that are so doing them. Like yeah, so, it's tough. Some are, you're either like crushing it or you're selling your food. Well, you're also you think months. about it. You're um, you're you're sometimes you're street fighting for revenue. You yeah. know, um, you ever watch the great food truck race on uh, yeah. on the Food Network? It's hilarious because I know it's not all like that. And there's definitely ways to get partnerships with breweries and other folks like that to be able to have kind of like a residency somewhere. You know, the biggest example I can think of in East Nashville is Mai's Del Vida yeah. with Chopper. They, they crush it. And I'm so glad that they're there. Um, but I think, you know, back in the day, it was kind of like 75000 for a new food truck. Then you had to outfit it a little bit. So, you know, your price was still way lower than opening up a brick and mortar restaurant. You know, but are you able to get that many people in there as you would in a restaurant? Or can the people find you? You know, I even go back to like the first food trucks out there when they became popular in LA, the Kogi truck by Roy Choi. Oh, cool. And they were some of the first people to use Twitter and tell people where they were at and people started following them. And so that kind of started the phase. It's like a whole it, new problem to deal with yeah. as, as a restaurant tour, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah. And I, I remember a uh, brick and mortar restaurant, restaurant tours used to get pissed like, oh, there's a food truck parked like, you know, two blocks down <laughs> from me. You know, they're taking my people, you know, they're yeah. taking my customers. It's, but it's guerrilla warfare. It is, you know, so. <laughs> You know, my biggest thing on food trucks is that if I was to do a food truck in any capacity, it'd be more of a marketing tool, you know, and doing private parties and things like that. I think it's almost worth it to drive around town with real big flashy food truck with your logos all over it. It's great marketing, right? You know who does that really well is the tap truck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they're they're crushing it because all they do are those private parties and things like that. Right. And uh, I mean, it's such a unique idea. And I think that they're that that almost they're almost a perfect example of the problem with food trucks because they're so unique. It works. Right. But after you know, after somebody does something unique with food, the next one has to be even more unique. And that's what people kind of started to expect out of food trucks was like, how wild is this going to be? Right. And then it just started to kind of disappoint. Yeah, and then, you know, you just break down the, the pure economics of it. You can only fit so much food on a food truck, right? So, like, what kind of oh, hours yeah. can you do? What kind of sales can you do? What kind of revenue can you do? You know, then you start breaking it down like that. And there's definitely, you know, pros and cons of doing a brick and mortar versus a food truck. Yeah, it's way less cash in, but, you know, people need to still find you somehow. And, yeah. you know, you might be in different spots, whereas they know if you have a brick and mortar, they can go to you every day if they want to. That's really interesting. You know? 
Yeah. There's tons. I mean, if you literally wrote it down on paper and you did a column for both, I mean, you would come up with probably six on each side, you know, um, of, you know, some good things and some bad things. But I think more with food trucks, again, it's for me, it'd be like a marketing piece. There's really strong marketing. Yeah. That's why having an airport location for a restaurant group is fantastic. It's right. almost, you know, the revenues are always very good, right? But think about it. You have thousands of people, but you have thousands of people walking by you every single day. Yeah. Thousands. It's like what all it's those, captive. You it's know? like what all those groups do with real estate in New York City on Times Square. You know, not not a single one of those retailers is making enough money to cover all of that. Right. It's yeah. more of just like I'm the presence. I'm yeah. here and it's yeah. marketing. Yeah, and people think it's there in that neighborhood. It's got to be amazing, you know. And it has to be. It just in their brain automatically. It's it's the place to be or the place to shop, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think food trucks were. I think they changed the restaurant industry, but. With that being said, they were a stepping stone. It's kind of like, I mean, what co-working did, and that's what we're trying to do with the wash. Right. It's a stepping stone into yep. the where everybody wants to be. Yeah. Right? I mean, I always use the the grilled cheesery as the perfect example. Great example. Yeah. Because, and I had a conversation with a banker about this earlier today, actually. What bank would have lent them money to open up a grilled cheese restaurant? Right. I mean, I, I would just imagine everybody be like, you're crazy. Why would yeah. anybody pay for a grilled cheese? Yeah. Exactly. No one's going to do that. So they go and open this food truck. And I finally got convinced to go try it one day at the farmer's market. This is years ago. Right. And I was blown away yeah. by the kinds of cheeses they had, the different breads. I yeah. mean, just the quality of the sandwich. And now I don't, I haven't seen their food truck in years. Right. They're brick and mortar. They have three, four brick and mortar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it is a great stepping stone. I mean, there's a lot of different elements to it, but just you know, getting the food in front of people, you know, at a food truck or at one of these micro food halls without having to do the whole production, getting that food in front of important people, maybe finding investors. Yeah, you know, that's what it's kind of all about. It doesn't. I don't. I don't think people have to be so concerned about. Hey, this is the next year. This is the next two years. I'm stuck. You know, it's like it's more. It's more of like let's do let's this do this as a building block and have that built in as a plan. Hey, we're hey, we're gonna do this for a few years and then. Either, either we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, you know, hopefully be hopefully profitable, profitable enough to save some money away, or even or just, just show revenue, show revenue to get alone. Alone. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. you know, there's so many different things. Why does, why does it change to do it? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and I think and it's I think such, it's such a good, good. I mean, I mean, just, just, even if it's just, even if it's just a loss leader. leader. Yeah, I mean, like you were like saying, branding and marketing. Totally, I mean, I mean, I'll see food trucks driving driving down the street, and I don't want to stop and get food trucks, but I might. Oh yeah, I'm gonna drive over to Grilled Cheese or Cheese or Station Station. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. Wow, wow. Creative, creative question for you. Does Bond Me have any gluten-free options? We do. We actually designed the menu. This is a great story. Thanks for great question. Question there. Yes, we definitely specialize in obviously obviously sandwiches, which is which is bread, bread. But the whole which we have every couple times, couple times. Stay up with it, man. It's pretty crazy. We have a full-time baker. Yeah, but, but that's but that's the that's fine dining commitment. It is it, uh, exactly. We could easily just go and buy a bread right, and maybe not have the same quality, quality but that's, that's what people what come back again and again for. Even though it kind of hurts us sometimes to have to do it the way we do it, it makes it well worth it in the end because people love it. Um, so really cool um, unknown fact, which I would like to you know get this out more and more to the public, is that the whole rest of the menu at Eastside Bomb is gluten free. Is it really? Yeah. So just besides the bread. Every single other item are pastries that Grace Chef Gracie bakes are all gluten free. Always. What? Yeah. 
didn't know that. Yeah, some of the best chocolate chip cookies you'll ever have. The so, cookies are baked yes, cookies? Yeah, absolutely. She doesn't bake with regular uh, gluten flour on, on any of her I pastries or cookies yeah, or anything. Tell. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, Grace, you used to own a, a gluten-free bakery in Palo Alto before we moved out here. I didn't know that. No joke, yeah. And so... Go. This is this is why I told you this is the perfect question. And so, we didn't we didn't we didn't. Gracie uh, Jones Bakery. Yeah, this is yeah. Gracie Jones Bake Shop. Okay. Gracie Jones Gluten Free Bake Shop in Palo Alto. It's very successful for a couple of years there, uh, and we just shut it down to, to move out here. Um, and so again, like we didn't set this question up, but it's brilliant. Um, so Asian Box, the the uh, the ten unit restaurant uh, group that we created and yeah. built and scaled, hundred percent gluten free. Hundred percent gluten free. Really? Yes. It's known. It's it's one of the few out there that's 100% gluten free, and so Vietnamese food, Asian food is actually pretty easy is to it do gluten free. Naturally, because you don't have it a is, whole it's lot of rice based and, instead yeah. of that. It's the French influence that brought in the baguette and some of the other things. Now, yeah, some Asian cultures definitely have like you know wheat in their wrappers noodles for dumplings or, yeah. or noodles, but there's total ways to work around that, and that's with rice noodles and things, and that's why that's we have really interesting. All of our bowls are 100% gluten free. We use gluten free soy sauce. Everything is even the the Maggie that we put on the little yeah. magic seasoning sauce. It's a gluten free version, which is delicious. Yeah, it's fun. It makes everything tastier. But yeah, I love that question because it's so true. We are so gluten friendly besides the bread. So, wow, and that's yeah. that's what you got three or four sandwiches on the menu, and you've got you know that that didn't even take up half of one side of your menu. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty remarkable to to think that yeah, people can definitely eat there with with ease. Yeah, that's awesome. I yeah, about that. Lilac, thank you for that question. That was great. Yeah. Um, okay, so you scaled up to 10 concepts in California. Yeah. One, I can't even imagine how difficult that is because California is unbelievably expensive. It sure is, yeah. You tell me, yeah. So what was that process like going from one shop to 10? Sure, it was, uh, it was a learning experience. Um, it was extremely valuable. Um, you know, I was going from being a, a chef in fine dining restaurants basically for the last, you know, five years before that, just working at some of the top restaurants and being one of those chefs that cook for reviews and stuff yeah. in San Francisco, which is great. I loved it. I had a really good time. I learned a lot about the food side. But this really um, heightened my business side, and I learned so much. Um, so imagine having the spirit and the, the base of this company in Silicon Valley. So that's where our investors wow. were from, right? So, um, you know, so we had a lot of investors – um, I sat in on a lot of board meetings. I presented at board meetings. Um, I helped raise capital. Uh, I did everything you would ever imagine to scale a company. Um, and that's on the business side. On the operations side was also very, very, very uh, important to learn as well because it was like quality and consistency at 10 units, training at 10 units. Right. You know, um, making sure that if you rolled out a new special, it would work at all 10. Like, how do you roll out a special for 10 restaurants instead of one and do it with, you know, ease and making sure that it's easy on all the, the, the employees and the team there? Um, you know, working on the supply chain, which was my big focus the last couple of years. To make um, sure that you're maintaining that consistency. Exactly. So yeah. on, on the founder side, I learned really so much about the business ins and outs. On the operation side, I learned uh, more than I ever would have liked to know, but I, you need to know as a chef. Yeah. on the supply chain side and how to deal with that and how to source and how to find um, the right partnerships with purveyors and things like that and how to work them on the back end so you can get your product in cheaper and not have to charge your customers more. Right. You know, it's a, it's a whole equation. So 
that was really, really important to learn all that. And then also, I think building and creating this brand and evolving it throughout the years from the marketing perspective was really, really eye-opening for me. And I learned so much. So like those three areas, like marketing, positioning, how you position a brand to the business side of like how companies are formulated, raising capital with the big dogs, like yeah. in Silicon Valley, you know, like some of the meetings I sat in on, wow, you know what I mean? I still look back and go, I can't believe that, Yeah, you know, to then the operations side. So I think long story short is that I learned so much from doing that. And, um, it was hard. It was really hard, but it was also really rewarding when things went well. I mean, we got, we were more in that realm of getting a lot of, uh, like national awards of like, you know, uh, fastcasual.com and, you know, some of the more industry magazines and publications. That's cool. Um, got to travel to tons of, um, you know, uh, things across the country and spoke on some panels in front of people. I'm sitting next to someone from Chipotle who's presenting and other cool stuff. So it was, it was really, it was a lot of fun. It was really hard, learned a lot, but it was extremely rewarding. And I'm glad we got to go through that whole kind of process. I'm curious about the raising capital part because what I didn't really know, or I just didn't really think about, and and many of my listeners are obviously in real estate. They are raising capital for their own deals. So that's a, that's a process everybody's very curious about. Raising capital for a restaurant is not too dissimilar from raising capital for a real estate investment. I mean, what, so what was that like? How, how did you pitch in Silicon Valley when the majority of people there were trying to figure out the next tech concept? Did you kind of pit up, you know, your restaurant against a tech investment? You had to have some tech elements, of course, because, hey, you're, you're in Silicon Valley. So again, going back to like having that early, um, kind of understanding and in use of online ordering and third party delivery and, you know, I mean, if you counted all of the f- kind of cool food concepts that were tech and business related that came out of Stanford in those couple of years, yeah. they're probably still coming out. Like everyone, it was like the coolest industry to be in where kind of the food and restaurant world intertwined with tech and, and business. And it was really cool. And they're still coming out with great stuff. But um, I think it depends on what kind of investment you're looking for um, because there's traditional investments for the restaurants. Those aren't as, you know... Um, likable by by kind of big investors they want to see something big right and so a lot of time it can be positioned as an enterprise investment where you're just hoping to be attained by another company down the line and so you're building and trying to get units open and i'm not saying that's what we did but that is one way of doing it that is a goal yeah exactly it's to say like hey we're going to get 10 stores open we're going to show 15 to 20 million in revenue and then hopefully we can be acquired by this multiple at a certain time down the line yep so there's probably a lot of similarities. And again, you know me, I'm, I'm on the new side to um, uh, real estate investing and stuff, why I always like to hang around you and <laughs> try to learn more when I get more time. But um, there's probably some similarities and probably some differences as well. But it's a very interesting world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, hey, I mean, ever since the, you know, the 100 years ago, there's been restaurants, big business. You know, you look at some of these chains down here, especially like in the South and in the Midwest and... Um, you know, I heard maybe like seven years ago that Chewy's was a publicly traded company. And I was like, I've never even heard of Chewy's back home, you know, and yeah. now I see it, you know, on like it's you everywhere. Know, see it around and I go, and now I understand why it's, it's kind of like a El Torito or a Chevy's that we used to have, you know? So yeah, there's definitely, um, a lot of different investment strategies in restaurants and hospitality for sure. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got a couple more questions here. 
Gnome, gnome saying that's hilarious. What inspired you to start cooking? Well, I was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I was a hungry kid. Seriously, that's that's really why I always I like to tell this story. I mean, I just I was a hungry kid. I really? was just yeah, I just wanted to so eat you all just the time. Started cooking, you wanted to yeah. Eat. Both my parents always kind of cooked around the house. Um, you know, we traveled a good a bit when I was a kid. I got to see some cool things and. Dad liked to go to restaurants, so we would go to restaurants. And I just kind of loved everything about it. And I just loved it's eating. Hard not to. Yeah. And so it's still to this day, I always talk about, you know, creating restaurant concepts and creating dishes within that restaurant concept. I do stuff that I like, you know, like that's what I focus on. And so when I heard someone explain this really, really well a couple months ago, it was like, yeah, that's that's the way I do it as well in my restaurants because in essence, my whole life is eating and drinking. So kind of trust me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, so it's it's one of those things where I just like to cook what I like to eat and, you know, kind of build off of that and and all that. So, yeah, um, that's that's how I really got my start in cooking was uh, just was being just, being, just being hungry. And then, you know, kind of uh, got some really great positions when I was getting out of college and found the right people to work with and just kind of built off of that and just kept going. And obviously you can't do it without hard work. So. That's great. And time spent, yeah. It takes a lot. Just like anything, you know? Yeah. No, you know, you need reps, you know, so. That's it. Yeah. Anything in life, yeah. That's really cool. Well, I know I'm jumping around. Yeah. But going back to 10, 10 restaurant concepts with Asian Box, how yeah. long did it take you to scale from 1 to 10? Uh, So about seven or eight years. Yeah, about eight years. And, you know, we, we, we closed uh, two along the way um, okay. and then built back. Um. So I always like to say, you know, it's never easy. I've closed a bunch of restaurants. It sucks. You know, it happens, though. It's just in any business. I think Dude, restaurants are of one of the hardest businesses yeah. to open. The fact yeah. that you got to 10, like, the fact that most people can keep one restaurant open is amazing to right. me. Yeah. Like, that's tough. It is. Don't, yeah. People don't realize how tough it is. I, when, we, when I first got started in commercial real estate, I would get the calls all the time of, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking to retire in the next few years. I'd like to open up a restaurant and, you know, just en enjoy my retirement. I'd be like, you don't know what running a restaurant is like, do you? <laughs> right. You're it's the busiest job you've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't if you don't love it, I think it's 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 kind of similar for a lot of, you know, businesses. You you gotta put you're gonna get yeah. what you put in, you know, and either that or you find great like minded people to do it with you. Right. So there there there's the two ways to do it. Do it yourself really hard or find really great people. Um and that's Besides a great team, of right. course. But I'm talking about like from an ownership or a, a upper management level. And and how much capital did you have to raise? And if you can't disclose that, I mean, I'm sure. But how much capital did you have to raise to get to 10 or 12 units? Um, yeah, I don't want to disclose the whole number. But, I mean, stores that we were building were probably between 500 and 750 each store. Yeah. So, um, you know. So roughly in that range. There's that in there. You know, there's also a lot of carrying costs and different things with with having a operating costs. Yeah, and, you know, you want to have corporate office set aside for right. safety. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that kind of come into play. So um, there was there was a lot of capital raising going on. There was, yeah. So the 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 what I wanted to lead into. Yes, yeah. you know, you've you've been in Nashville for two years. You've already successfully done Eastside Bond Me. Yep. You're about to open up your second concept with Eastside Fa. You're already yep. doing pop-ups for SS Guy. Yep. I mean, clearly the, the title of this podcast is expanding rapidly with right. you know, micro units. I mean, you haven't had to raise any capital to get this rolling yet. 
No, so we're we're very lucky to be um, pretty much uh, organically capitalized. That has to be fun. It is. That's everybody's dream. Yeah, right? I mean, if you're looking to take on, um, you know, folks that can help you grow in different capacities, and there's always maybe that need somewhere. That's great, um, like a strategic partner or whatnot. But you know, value add partner, absolutely. But if you can do it yourself, why not, right? Yeah. I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world. Um, anyway, we've been able to do that, and we are, um, you know, cash flowing the, the, the few next projects. Yeah, I mean, um, you're you're on pace right now to actually open more restaurants over the next seven to eight years that you own. Exactly. With no investors. Yeah, exactly, and and that's that is the goal, and we'll see if we can stay true to that. And I just don't think that. I mean, right now there's not a want or a need. You never know; things do change in totally. business, and your positions change on things and whatnot over time. But as of right now, yeah, if we can keep this train rolling, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, and it's uh, it, it feels great to not really. I mean, it's great having partners. There's nothing wrong with it, of course. Uh, but hey, if you can just do it yourself as a little family business, that's kind of what Gracie and I call it. And yeah. uh, that's even better. Yeah, it's just that much easier. Yeah, it is. Uh, like, I love all of my investors. Right, right. When we go into these projects, you know, I've got 30 days to go raise $3 million. Right. For, to, you know, buy some real estate. And that's, it's not, not stressful. We'll put it that way. Yeah, no, believe me, I've been through it. And I'm, I haven't been on that kind of uh, time frame of 30 days. I would, I would freak out. I mean, I'm talking about where we're doing raises, you know, uh, that sometimes would last six to eight months, you know, and you know how it is too, is oh, you can yeah. get so far down the line and then you can lose it at the end. And always try to tell, um, you know, our partners within our restaurant group or, you know, our upper management or leadership team. I'm like, you know, sometimes to get one deal, you got to like, you know, put in 20 proposals, right. Yeah. Or, or 50 proposals to get one deal, you know, like most of them you aren't going to get. So go into a deal thinking right. you're not going to get it. There's so many, you know, with that in real yeah, estate investing. Exactly. So it's, you know, it is a tricky world. Um, raising capital is, is something that takes a lot of talent and just a lot of networking as you, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you that, I mean, obviously, <laughs> um, but you know, it's, you know how how hard it is and how frustrating it can be and how time consuming it is. You got to be so well put together. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got to we we go over our offering memorandums like 17 times and then I'll still tell the team I'm like go in there with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, break it. And if you see, you know, a a period spaced off wrong. Right. Or, you know, something's missing an apostrophe or I mean, we got redo the whole thing. We have to fix it. And it, and it can get frustrating, but if an investor sees that, all it takes is them, them to see one grammatical error Absolutely. in a paragraph to go, hmm, I don't know about these guys. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. It's, um, it's just like, you know, hiring folks. You know, if I see something, I'm probably going to flag that, honestly. You have to. You know? You're yeah. putting everything out there to try to get something, and, you know. You're supposed to be here to represent yeah. me and my business. I've yeah. got to make sure that you're going to uphold that. Uh, Chris is asking, what website should investors visit for my projects? Interested in being a limited partner? Love to hear that, Chris. If you're interested in being a limited partner with us, uh, go to investwithhamilton.com. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, that should be at the beginning and the end of every episode. Uh, but yeah, investwithhamilton.com. Uh, Sunshine is saying, I'm late, but I'm getting a lot to rent out spots. Uh, to food truck owners, she's in Dallas, Texas. Is this still profitable here to your knowledge? Uh, yeah, Sunshine, I mean, I, I think that that's a great opportunity, right? I mean, if you've got 
a a solid location that has foot traffic or high visibility uh, that's very easy for food truck operators to set up, um, I think that it would be very attractive to them. Now, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that, Chad, because I would imagine they can't pay very much. Yeah, see, that's the that's the tough part, right? Is everyone kind of talks about it's it's commiserate to like what you're selling on your food truck, right? Right, and then it goes back to like you know you only have so much ability to create revenue out of a food truck. You can only store so much food to be able to sell for, you know, for money, right? So there's definitely some limitations. So I think, and you know, a lot of the folks in the food truck business are in the food truck business because they don't want to pay rent. Right. Right. That's why they're like, I can, you know, and they almost get like the little old sailor pirate. Like, yeah. I'm just going to go out and work the streets, you know, and exactly not have, they are pirates. Yeah. You know, pirates. it's, <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with the food truck people. We love you. No, um, great. You know, but yeah, I mean, that's why they're kind of in a food truck, right? They don't yeah. want to pay rent. And so, yeah, you might be able to get a small amount from him, but it's not going to be a lot. Yeah, Sunshine, we've looked at doing this several times on on just vacant lots that we own after we bought them, right. took them down or whatever, because, you know, why not? But we we always decided that the headache of getting a, a lease put together or something like that and then finding the tenants right. and then having to deal with them, it was just never really worth the amount of money that we were going to collect. Um, now, one thing that we are doing is we're looking at uh, we, we just took down some land and as a gesture of good faith to a restaurant here in Nashville uh, that unfortunately had to close because their building's getting torn down, we told them they could operate their food truck essentially for free on one of our properties until we develop it. But we're going to make them pay for uh, the, the lease or the, the licensing agreement. Uh, that way, it's no cost to us, no cost to them. Um, but it, it's tough. I mean, I love the idea. And I know that food truck courts yeah. do well. Uh, but just trying to program, it's so much, it's a lot of work. Agreed. And, you know, it's it's kind of like pop-ups, right? We don't charge friends and community people to do pop-ups at our restaurant, you know? Yeah. You, you, we're closed on Sundays. Um, come do it on a Sunday. Yeah, come do it on Sunday. We're not going to charge you, you know? We just want to make sure, we, you know, you're someone that's trusted us and, you know, we have a relationship and whatnot because we're, we're essentially giving you our space. But I'm not looking to get, like, 3% of sales or – 500 bucks for the night. Cause I know that the folks that are doing a pop-up are not going to be making that kind of revenue that can really generate something to pay. Plus I just like the good community will aspect of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, well, and it's just a cool new experience somewhere that people are used to going already. That is right. totally different. Yeah. And it also, I mean, if, if you don't think it's marketing for your own restaurant, then you're probably missing something too. Cause just having people in your space, yeah. even if it's not yours, not your night cooking for everyone. It's not a bad thing either. It's it's the same reason that YouTube creators or or podcasters go on each other's shows. You're opening yourselves up to a totally new audience, and it's yeah. mutually beneficial for everybody. Right. For I sure. mean, you know, how many people now know about SS Guy? I know you own SS Guy, yeah. but you guys did that. You had a pop up for SS Guy on on a weekend when y'all weren't open. So how many people now know about that concept that may not have otherwise known about it? Or yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's why you do it. When we first came to uh, Nashville and we were building out Eastside Bami, that's exactly why we did pop ups around town and dropped off family meal to other restaurants and things like that. It wasn't about driving revenue at all. Yeah. Doing those pop ups wasn't about. I mean, it helped a little bit, but again, you're not going to make it rich off of doing these pop-ups where you're bouncing around town and schlepping and doing all that stuff. Yeah. There's probably some people that actually do make a really good living off of it or enough to, you know, start saving up or pushing for the next step. But the reason we did that and we 
popped up at East National Farmers Market and Jackalope the Ranch. Um, yeah, you know uh, where else? We did one at Chopper. Um, it was really just to get in front of people and feed people and get them to taste the food. It's more of a promo thing. We never thought of it as driving revenue. Yeah, you know, it was more just like, hey, let's cook for people. Let's meet people. We're in a new town, and you know, I always recommend that. Yeah, I mean that you you guys did such a phenomenal job of that being the the newcomers. I mean, you're like the most established group in Nashville now, which is funny to think about. Um, but yeah, Sunshine. I mean, I, I I think it could be a very viable business concept um, if you have the connections to the food truck industry and you're willing to go out there and work it because they do need a space. Um, you yeah. know, I, what I've seen that's been very successful on that front are the commissary kitchens that allow people to leave their trucks at overnight as well because every food truck has to have a commissary kitchen and they have to park overnight and plug in. And so, you know, not everybody has that at their house or whatever <clears throat> to, to be able to do that. So, I mean, that, that could be an option there if you, if you build a commissary kitchen and then kind of create a food truck court right outside of it. Yeah. Good idea. That's a great idea. Be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to charge you for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for sure. So, uh, Getting back onto this expanding rapidly concept, because, you know, obviously I've been asking you about this a lot here recently because we're, we're looking at growing the wash. Yep. We're doing a location on Dickerson Pike. We're, we're working on one up in Madison. Uh, we've got another one that we're working on out of state, out in Charlotte. And we're trying to put together, you know, figure out, you know, okay, we've got lightning in a bottle, but why is it lightning in a bottle? And so talking to you uh, about, startup costs right the whole reason that we decided to do this concept is because we wanted to provide an affordable attainable restaurant opportunity um for startups and for restaurant groups that wanted to expand and do multiple locations so you know looking at what we've done what do you like about it from that front i mean why is it feasible for you to go do multiple locations so quickly yeah, I mean, you can get into one of the micro units for maybe a tenth of what you would for a regular restaurant, you know. In terms of like upfront cost. Yeah, exactly for capital needed, right? Yeah. Um, because you guys are doing all the build out, doing all the architectural fees, right? All the fun kitchen stuff. package, <laughs> yeah. right? Kitchen kitchen package, including hood and walk in, which are the, probably the biggest pieces of any kitchen package. It's the most right? expensive. All the finishes sure. is basically just plug and play. Yeah. Right for for a new tenant, so. You know, um, I think you could even do it for for less than what we're doing it for. Um, I think if you we're getting all new equipment, um, different things like that. But I think for someone that wants to even do it more on a budget, they easily can. I mean, they can find secondhand equipment. They can, you know, uh, do a little less promo. They can do a little less marketing. Whatever it is, whatever fits sure. their budget, they're able to get in for extremely cheap comparative to a to to building out a, a fresh restaurant and that's even yeah. building out a second generation space that actually has a hood and an existing walk-in and all the infra- infrastructure of electrical plumbing all that um yeah i mean it's 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 just a different game basically on what the capital need would be de- to get a, get into a restaurant into a brick and mortar yeah and i'm sure it depends too on on what kind of food you're prepping right because it does if you're if you're doing a whole bunch of fried foods you're gonna have to spend money on a fryer but if you're doing a deli yeah maybe you don't have to have any of that and no so exactly it's yeah you could that's what i'm saying you could do it really on the cheap based off of what your concept is 
So yeah. you said earlier you were spending on Asian box, and that, that may not be translatable, yep. but five hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars just to build out a restaurant. Right. So you're saying you think that you can get away with fifty to seventy five thousand on these micro units? I think you can easily do a really great restaurant in there for fifty. I think even if you wanted to go down and use secondhand equipment and kind of go out and scrap that and find it and spend that time to go and get used things or follow um, restaurant estate sales, things like that. I think you could probably get in around 20. That's crazy. Yeah. So you're looking at a 10th to essentially almost a 20th of the cost of opening up a regular restaurant. Yeah. Which means you could go open up 10 restaurants for the cost of one, basically. Yep. Yep. What are you projecting in annual revenue compared to uh your 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 traditional brick and mortar i mean you don't right. have to give numbers if you don't want to but you know in terms of what you guys are doing in volume are you looking at doing a tenth of the revenue just because it's a tenth of the cost no but i don't think you're gonna do the rev again this is totally based off of what the concept is sure. a what the square footage of the regular let's call the the, the regular brick and mortar right. would be so there's a lot of factors in there totally um, for sure. But, um, I wouldn't say a 10th. I think you could do more than that. Um, I think we're going to do at, so for example, I think at ESP, we're going to do without giving full numbers on all the concepts. Sure. I think we can do two thirds of the revenue we do at Eastside Bombay. Two thirds. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty nuts. It's, it's amazing. And let's just preface that with Eastside Bombay tears, tears it up and Turns yeah, and burns. it does really, really well. So yeah. So um, again, without getting into the into the specifics on numbers, but I'm projecting two thirds of the revenue. That's great. Okay, we're gonna have to sit down with Adam, and I'm gonna have yeah. to have him like <laughs> throw together a model for this, right? So well, that we could show people. Yeah, because, I mean, we we talked about doing that before. Yeah. Is you know, it would be really nice to be able to show that, and um, I think you could get that down on paper nicely. So for a tenth of the cost, you'll get two thirds of the revenue. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever go back to doing a traditional traditional brick and mortar? Yeah, I think again, kind of every concept has its is is its own thing in a way. Um, you know, and one thing about us is that we've chosen not to scale a single concept anymore. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before. So, like Eastside Bomb Me, that will be the only Eastside Bomb Me. Yeah, there's never gonna be another one. Which I love. Um, you know, that was one of the differences we did with with Asian Box back in the day when we scaled that from one to ten. Um, that really w- worked well for that. And, and for the folks that do that, that's fantastic. You know, it's like the grilled cheeseries that have three or four or whatever. Right. It, that's awesome. That's, that's a great way to do it. We just, after our experience doing that, and then with our kind of new, new lease on ref- restaurant life, no pun intended, right. um, have decided not to do that because we have a lot of really cool concepts that we have in our pocket that we would like to show people. And I think you can use the same bones and the same pro formas and the same everything to create you you know you can be looking for the same size space and this this, i'm going to come back to the micro units right is that you can have the budgets that work for all of these almost same size spaces so like east side bombing is 1200 square feet right yeah it's got 28 seats inside right no patio i wish it had one but um (laughs) that's what it is so there's in our pocket right now we have four concepts that could fit into that space using those same budgets same projections on food costs labor costs all that would be four completely different concepts that would work and i think that's really fun that's so much fun. and so i i just think that they're a little more special that way and again that's not putting down the multi-unit or the the same uh, no. same same brand it's just 
you know, I think it's a little more special when you have just one, you know. Well, and you've you've been through that before, right? right. Like you've gone and raised capital and scaled right. to 10 units and you've had that experience and now you know, and you're very successful with that and now you're kind of at the point of your career it's it's the passion projects it's it is yeah you know i mean yeah we'll make it's kind of like where i am it's yeah we'll make money doing anything right what am i going to love doing the most what's going to make a difference what's going to push the boundaries of what real estate is and you're kind of doing the exact same thing i mean all the concepts that you're bringing to nashville they don't exist right. i mean there are some thug concepts in town there is but yeah there's less than a handful exactly and nashville's huge yeah yep i think you know and there's not one in east nashville i know there's definitely not um i think that overall there's a lot of white space in in, in nashville for asian of all kinds yeah so i want to say that we're partially going to uh focus on that in the future yep although that's not our entire repertoire as you know we have a right. lot of different backgrounds and areas and things that we can pull from and that we like to do and like we like to eat going back to we like to eat yeah chad uh -huh. invites me to like all of his tastings <laughs> right and they make they're good at everything we'll just leave thank it. you we'll leave it there but yeah so you know um and that's the one thing people told us before we got here is that nashville needs more good asian restaurants and so we're trying to do Dude. that yeah you're telling me man grew up here and you know we have like three sushi restaurants uh, Don't forget the sushi and Thai restaurants. It's right. We had two sushi and Thai. <laughs> I've never seen that before. Yeah. I, really? Yeah. Oh, I never thought it's anything not a of thing. it because yeah. that was like normal here. They have nothing to do with each other. Those I mean, two, yeah. like geographically and like cuisine wise, it's pretty funny. Like, yeah. But, but hey, those people are hustling and grinding. So good for them. Yeah. Seriously. Well, it worked. Yeah. Right? They, they yeah. found a market because, I mean, it, it was successful in Nashville. It's totally. funny to me in California. You're yeah. just like, yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Oh, that's that's great. Yeah, well, that's get, crazy, man. Th those yeah. numbers are still so like bizarre to me. Yeah. So, you know, a tenth of the cost, two thirds of the revenue, um, which is so cool for me to hear because you know I don't know anything about restaurants, yeah. right? I mean, I haven't even spent my career being focused on restaurants. Yeah. We've done a few, you know, we've represented groups, we've helped yep. them do some restaurants, but I've never been involved in a build out. I've never invested in a restaurant. I've never gotten behind, you know. I waited tables when I was 21. That's and you like it. to eat a lot at yeah, restaurants. And, and I like to yeah. really eat. I, yeah. I really enjoy that side. <laughs> but, you know, when we set out to create this concept that would help the next generation of restaurateurs get up and going, we wanted it to be affordable. But we thought, you know, hey, you know, let's, let's approach it from the real estate side, right? Like, right. I'm going to create a space that we can easily rent out and, you know, it might be a little expensive on a price per square foot basis, but your all-in monthly rate is going to be much cheaper. Uh, and it's it's just cool to me to hear that it's working. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's cool, and it kind of uh, it's very similar to what we're doing at your here hospitality as well. One of our arms, if you will, yeah. is like an incubator uh, program, which is perfect for this. Exactly. So talk, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So basically, what we're looking for is we're looking for kind of chef partners. Um, who are really passionate, dynamic, love what they do, love the business, want to be in the business. Maybe they don't have the wherewithal and or the capital um, to get a place open their, themselves. So they have a really great idea. They definitely know what they're doing in the business, um, but they just don't, they, they don't have that experience. You know, like a lot of chefs don't have that experience. Yeah. They just don't. And 
you know, you get to that point where you hear a lot of really tough stories about, you know, chefs taking their first kind of partnership deal and it just going south, you know, and they're not doing their homework on things because their world is the kitchen. Yeah. And there's a lot of owners out there that hide P&Ls from you and don't kind of develop you that way when you're they, a chef. And they get 5 or 10% of their concept that they're slaving over. Right. Everything for, exactly. Right? So we're doing, I guess, a very non-traditional approach on it. And we're still building this out somewhat, but... Uh, with SS Guy, we're doing that with Chris and yeah. his wife. And so just a quick story on that. Chris, we hired him on as a sous chef. Um, and he has this great just great experience, um, great background, great pedigree. Uh, we've cooked it. We have some of the same pedigree. We share some of it. Um, and has this fantastic concept, really cool idea. It would be perfect for Nashville. And so we talked to him and said, hey, why don't you come and join us at Eastside Bomb Me? Help us get stabilized. This is when we're still, like, nuts busy. Right. You know, and, you know, there six days a week, just grinding, grinding, grinding. And uh, it wasn't really sustainable anymore for us to keep doing that. And wanted to bring some more people on to kind of, you know, learn and build with us and stuff. And so that was part of it. And so Chris joined us and uh, with the kind of uh, promise or projection that we would help him develop his restaurant concept. And help him find capital and help him find a place and and do all that and so excited to say that that's in the works right now you know we're we're working on that and like you said you know we've had one pop up or there'll be more coming up but it's his and his wife's concept i i'm not even taking like we're gracie and i and you are here hospitality are not even taking a piece of it in the end you know like that's like the kind of um new style uh it's restaurant like arrangement yeah exactly and that's what it's more based on it's more like community based we want to give back we want to help um you know like i said we have a very very consultant background i miss that like that's my sweet spot you know that when you, you know we talk about a lot about stuff like that i could yeah. talk restaurants all day long i love it yeah so while we're do, while we're creating and operating our own businesses we have the ability and we have the time and we have the desire to help others as well and that's what we want to do so yeah. Hopefully, this first one will be uh, a great example. Of course, it's going to need some adjustments and, and different things, and we'll kind of learn as we go a little bit because, like I said, this is very non-traditional. The traditional restaurant investment is, you know, like an 80-20 and then a flip-flop, and we don't need to go into that, but that's the, that's yeah. the basic, usually how it works. But this one, um, we're, we're going to do a little differently, and I, and I think it's going to work really well, and it's going to make me feel really good, honestly. Yeah. You know? And that's I still really get to cool. play restaurant. I still get to help someone. And it's we're only going to do concepts that we really believe in. So right. to kind of get this um, partnership in place, there's going to be a process. There's going to be an application process, and there's going to be a paid apprenticeship that you come and work with us, kind like of like what, what Chris is doing yeah. right now, so they can get a better idea of really operating at a high level, and we can get a better operate idea of them as an operator before we really dive deep into it. Well, and that's so smart for both parties. It is. Because yeah. they, if you're going to be in that position for them, they need to know, one, how you operate as a partner and that you're not going to be overbearing or right. try to control the concept. Yep. But two, they need to know that you're actually going to be there to help them. Right? Exactly. You need to know that they know how to operate a restaurant. Right. And that they can come up with concepts and, that, and they can run a kitchen. Yeah. You know? So that it's just such a great way to... to learn that side of the business it really is and i just wish more people kind of got a chance to learn that side of the business because i did and, and i feel very lucky for it and yeah. it's almost like i started in my career i was like you know like a dreamy executive chef of just doing awesome food and then 
I got to morph onto the second half into actual the business side and learn yeah. that. And I'm so happy I got to learn both because now I can turn around and help folks, which is really important to me. Yeah, no, it really is. I think, I mean, one of the, one of the biggest tragedies in the restaurant industry is how many chefs out there will never get to release their concept to the world that could be the next Chipotle. Right. Or could be the next yep. Eastside Bon Me. Yep. Because opening up a restaurant is it's so unbelievably expensive. Yep. And it's really tough. I mean, you think about, you know, you might you might be the most incredible chef in the world, but if you don't know how to run a business and you don't know how to raise capital and you don't know how to spend your time going out and doing that, it doesn't matter. You'll always be working for somebody else. And I think that that's such a great way to help them get into owning their own future. Yeah, and it's, it's it, I'm glad you touched on that because most people do get caught up in that. Like, oh, we're serving awesome food, but do you have a sustainable business? That's the biggest key. Like, yeah. can you continually create jobs and hire people? You know, like, can you create a, a sustainable program at your business where you're able to develop people, help people in their own lives, you know, give them great jobs that are meaningful, not just a, a simple hourly thing, you know, and be able to co consistently do that. Well, a great business does. It doesn't matter if you can, you know, put awesome food on a plate. If you can't keep your business open because you don't know all the aspects of it, then you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna close down and um, you're gonna have to lay people off and just a lot of sad things involved in that. So yeah, being the best well-rounded business person you can, but also being able to cook is so important, you know, and be able to create a great product, right, for people. It's exactly it. Yeah, it's, it's an art and a science. Yeah, for sure. Right. Hundred percent. Yep. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Angel or Angel is saying it's hard businesses. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They, are, they really are. Um, Rita's asking, what's your favorite part of the business? Hey Rita, what's up? Um, favorite part of the business is obviously, or it's, it's just serving people in hospitality. Yeah. Um, so one of my first jobs in San Francisco was at a very well-known, one of the best restaurants at the time. And I got started as a food runner. Basically, I just brought out food to the tables and put them down. Well, it was that moment where I really understood that I wanted to do this forever because I was putting down these absolutely beautiful plates in front of people and oh, people were just, were just like, like Lord. they were just like, this is beautiful, <laughs> you know? And it wasn't even like super foo-foo fancy small place. Too. It was like a busy restaurant that did 400 covers a night Wow, that... You know, it was like the the coolest people in San Francisco at the time, and the food was awesome, but it was also still approachable and using great ingredients. And like I said, like these portions were big, but they were just so beautiful, and so everything was so well thought out. And so being able to serve someone, and then you can just see them light up instantly, or you're approaching the table and you see how good this four top is having with each other yeah. out dining. Like that's why we dine, right? Like, you know, that's why we go experience. out with, with friends. It's just sitting around a table and sharing a meal and breaking bread and, and all that. So I think that's what personally still kind of pushes me every day. Is you, you know, people still see me at the restaurant. I go out and, you know, I wrap sandwiches for Gracie. That's kind of the joke, yeah. you know. And I'm able to say hello and goodbye to everyone. And I go out and talk to people. And we have such great regulars and such a great community there. So I still really kind of – that drives me every day. Makes a big difference, man. Yeah. I'll never forget the the, you know – the second time I walked into Peninsula, Craig knew my drink order from last time. Nice, yeah. And it's it's those hospitality touches that whenever you go into a restaurant, you know, I mean, I'm sure at, at, at all these chains, 
unless you're going really every day and they happen to keep the same employees, you're probably not going to be getting that kind of treatment. Right. And so I think that, you know, when hospitality groups like you are here has that mentality, that's how you have something that's exceptional. Yeah. Right. Because I've, I've sat in your restaurant. I've watched you. You greet everybody that comes in. Yeah. And I think that makes such a big difference, man. Yeah. It's touch points, you know, and again, that's kind of going back to the, you know, fine casual versus fast casual, right? Because when's the last time you went into a Chipotle, sat down and started eating your food and someone came over and said like, hey, how's everything tasting, you know? Never. They don't care. You know, so it's, <laughs> you know, it's like adding those little almost fine dining elements to make your experience even yeah. great. And so you, so think about that, you know, $10, $12 that you're spending and you're getting that. Yeah. It's like it's mem- you're creating memories and people remember things like that. Uh, and I think that's what's important is creating those touch points for people. And you can do it in, on, on all kinds of businesses is the thing if you're just – if you're dedicated yeah. to it. You know, we tell the team there. It's really step kind of – one extra step. Yeah, it's really kind of simple. It's like cook really great food consistently, be really nice to people. We just solved a restaurant. Wow. Bombs you know what dropped. I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> the rest falls into place, you know. And I know it's not that easy. But, you know, if you just do the pleases and thank yous and hellos and goodbyes, you know, the start there. Yeah. That's just the little things, you know. Yeah, I love that. Well, Chad, if anybody wants to learn more about you are here hospitality or they want to get into your your mentorship program, how do they sure. get a hold of you? Like I said, we're still kind of in the works right now. Uh, we're building everything out. Um, websites could launch very very soon, like any any week now. Uh, same with our Instagram handle um, that is live and active. So you are here hospitality, and then um, you can follow us on all the other social channels like. Uh, Eastside Bomb Me at Eastside Bomb Me for for Instagram uh, e- at Eastside Fa for um, for Eastside Fa and then just follow along there and you'll start seeing everything because we kind of all you know as any kind of restaurant group does start you know mixing it in on all the posts and stuff yeah. and, and and seeing it so yeah that's that's kind of the best way to do it right now and just come in and say hello at the restaurants yeah go go grab a sandwich at Eastside Bomb Me uh, Chad thank you for coming in today man really Thanks, appreciate Tyler. it. this is a great conversation. If you're listening on the podcast, don't forget to leave us a review. Uh, That way we can get in front of more people that are interested in learning more about commercial real estate and real estate investing. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and uh, and subscribe, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, brought to you by Hamilton, your resource for passive real estate investment opportunities. Visit www.investwithhamilton.com to start building your passive real estate portfolio today.